Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Tonight we're going to continue on the doctrine of man. And we're going to start out speaking to the makeup of man. There are two basic theories concerning man's being, all right? Two basic theories concerning man's being or the makeup of man. One of them or the first one is the dichotomous theory, all right? The dichotomous theory. And uh, most of you would know that die speaking about two. So this theory holds that man is a dual or what we call bipartite being consisting of only spirit and body. So this theory suggests that the spirit and the soul is one and therefore man is a is a twofold being. In fact there are some who teach very profoundly so to speak that there's no such thing as a soul. There was one former archbishop for prominent country that says only shoes have soul. You know, man don't have soul. But that is the dichotomous theory that there is a spirit and the body because the spirit and the soul is one. There's not, no such thing as a spirit and soul. All that we speak to as soul is spirit. But we'll go to the word as usual to make the distinction and the word never fails us. But as I said, that is the first theory concerning the makeup of man. The second theory is the trichotomous theory. This, is, this theory holds that man is a tripartite being consisting of spirit, soul, and body. Spirit and soul are distinguishable but indivisible all right so you can identify each of them separately but you can't really divide them they work together so you're not going to find a situation where the spirit is inside of man but the soul is not there or the soul is there but the spirit is not there because they work together they are indivisible but they are distinguishable so we can define each of them separate. So they are different. Both the spirit and the soul are housed in a physical body. And this theory is consistent with the whole scripts, what we learn across the scriptures. And we will look at some of those verses in time. God is triune in his being. And so man created in the image of God and the likeness of God was created triune being also in the image of God. And of course, that triune being or tripartite being is speaking to spirit, soul, and body. We have a few verses that we want to read at the top here just to establish difference between spirit and soul. I don't think we have to convince you that the spirit and soul is different from the body because everybody even the dichotomous theory has accepted that that is pretty clear 
but the spirit and the soul. Let's look at First Thessalonians 5, verse 23. And then we're going to read Hebrews 4, verse 12. So First Thessalonians 5, verse 23. We're going to read that as it relates to the, the spirit and the soul. We're talking about the makeup of man here. It says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul. So right there you see the word of God making distinction between the spirit and soul. I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. So right there you see the word of God differentiate between all three of them and prove to us that they're separate. So he prayed that God would preserve spirit, soul, and body blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. And anything that we're going to prove from the Bible, we should actually be able to confirm it with more than one scripture. So we're taking the opportunity to do just that with the spirit and the soul. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, it says, for the word of God is quick, and that word quick means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even in the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Right? It's piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So here again, we see the writer of Hebrews distinguishing between the spirit and the soul, separating them. And it talks about how the word is a designer of the thoughts and all of that. But here's what is very important, that the word of God is really what divides, bring definition to both the spirit and the soul. If you are going to try and just divide them and separate them with your human mind, you will find problems there. But the word of the Lord, which represents the God who created man, is able to bring that distinction. So these three areas, spirit, soul, and body, are the three centers of consciousness within the total personality of man. They are the three centers of consciousness within the total personality of man. Let me also say that to really word it properly, man is a spirit. The real you, the real person is a spirit. That's the part of you that will live eternally, whether with God or in the kingdom of darkness. That's a part of you that gets born again. That is your real identity. So man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. All right. So really, there is all this talk going on in the world today. And I'm very conscious of how certain people are marginalized because of their skin color, They're according to ethnic division. But the real truth is that the real you is in this house looking out through these windows and nobody really knows what the real color is. Who knows what the color of a spirit is? That's the real you. Now, I'm not saying that to take away from the 
unfortunate situations with ethnicity. But what I'm saying is that the real you is your spirit, all right? Let's break down these three areas a little bit. Let's look at them separately and start with the spirit. The spirit, your spirit is the God conscious part of man capable of knowing God. That's the part of you that is capable of knowing God, being born again, capable of fellowship with God. And this is why Jesus said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart or their spirit is far from me. So your lip, your mouth, so to speak, is not really capable of knowing God. It helps your spirit to be in fellowship with God, but it is your spirit that is capable of knowing God. And that is why if we only talk but not engage God with our spirit, we don't really experience real worship. Real worship is when your spirit is engaged by the Holy Spirit. That's when quickening takes place in your spirit. And sometimes you see some people make noise when they pray and uh, sing or when that engagement takes place. When that engagement takes place, it can have reaction in your body. But real worship is not when you sing loud or when the music coordinates. All of that is good, but real worship is when your spirit is engaged by the Holy Spirit. So the spirit is the eternal part of man that is able to worship God in spirit. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible also refers to the spirit as the candle of the Lord. So remember that the purpose of a candle is to give light. So the spirit gives light or show you where to go. It is supposed to be the leader of your life. But so many times we're led by our soul and our body. And we get ourselves in more trouble than not when that happens. But the spirit of the Lord Proverbs 20 verse 27 is the candle of the Lord, the Bible says, searching the inward parts of the belly. Now, the faculties of the spirit are intuition, conscience, and communion. This is a level that sometimes we don't go to in our teaching. What makes up the spirit? We hear about the spirit. But what are the components of the spirit? The faculties of the spirit are intuition, conscience, and communion. Intuition. Let's talk about that for one moment here. This is why the inward witness is the number one way in which God leads all of his children. Because intuition is about the Holy Spirit living inside of your spirit. Therefore, your intuition is about the impressions, the interactions, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit inside your spirit. So you can pick up on that. So the inward witness is one of the safest guide as for a believer. But you know, sometimes we 
look for the spectacular and miss the supernatural. But intuition is as supernatural as a hundred angels surrounding your house and you're able to see them. Communion. Communion, this enables fellowship and relationship and interaction between the two parties, talking about your spirit and the Holy Spirit. Communion enables meaningful interaction. So as we talk to God and God talk back to us, whether in prayer or worship or just a conversation about something else, that speaks to communion, which enables meaningful interaction. The more you talk to God now, the, the, the more you will hear from him. And as you obey what he says, then you will grow in your communion with him. Jesus also put a lot of emphasis on this. When he was on earth, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He prayed always. So he was interacting all the time with his father God speaking there to the importance of communion. Then conscience. Your conscience echoes the voice of your spirit. If your spirit is unrenewed and anti-God, that is what your conscience will also echo. And so I want to just say something very, very, very important on this issue. First of all, conscience as I said before, is the voice of your spirit. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Remember that your spirit stores beliefs, convictions, experiences, and resolutions. So your conscience echoes the convictions of your heart. It is the voice of your spirit. So if your convictions are not based on the word of God, your conscience will be compromised because your conscience echoes the convictions that are in your heart. Therefore, the Bible talks about people's conscience being seared. And it must be understood that if someone's base, their spirit, their subconscious mind, is not loaded with the things of God, if they don't have that deposit, then their conscience will be seared. In other words, not every one of us, as we would probably want to think, not everyone's conscience convict them of the same kinds of things. So I hear some people saying that there's nothing wrong with scamming. And they give a whole bag of justification and I listen to them and they're sincere in their opinion, they're genuine, but yes, they're sincerely wrong. But that depends on what is in their subconscious mind. So their conscience is the voice of their spirit. So if the wrong things are in your belief system, if your belief system is rooted in the wrong things, you've been socialized a certain way, then you won't see anything wrong with doing it. And your conscience won't reflect what a born-again person's conscience would reflect. So your conscience is straightly the voice of your spirit. That means if you're born again and you're in relationship with God, it will 
reflect accordingly. But if your belief system has nothing to do with God and you're anti-God, your conscience will reflect accordingly. So your conscience is a safe guide only if your beliefs are rooted in the word of God. For the born again believer, your conscience is a safe guide. Sometimes you, you would have heard people say of others, they don't have any conscience. It's not like they don't have any conscience. It's just that their conscience is aligned with a different kind of conviction than your conscience is aligned with. So when man fell, his spirit lost its contact with God. It was man's spirit that lost contact with God. Hence, there was no communion with God and man, or let me say it another way. There was very limited communion between God and man in the Old Testament. Why? Because the spirit lost contact with God. There was no such thing as intuition in the Old Testament after Adam fell because man's spirit lost contact with God. Conscience was an issue because man's spirit lost contact with God. This is why in the Old Testament, only the prophet, the priest, and the king were in certain kind of relationship with God. And man had to depend on the priest to go in and talk to God on his behalf. Because man could not relate to God the way he relates to God today because then his spirit lost contact with God. So in the new birth, it is man's spirit that is born again. In the new covenant, it is man's spirit that is born again and renewed. So when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is man's spirit that is born again and renewed so that man can have his relationship with God restored. The believer's spirit, when joined to the Lord, becomes one with the Holy Spirit. That is why the intuition comes. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Let's look at the soul. The soul is the self-conscious part of man capable of knowing oneself. You know, your own life, your own behavior. Moses, in the account of creation, tells how God forms man's body from the dust of the earth and then breathe into man the breath of life. And the more literal translation there is the breath of life. Because when man received his spirit from God in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it was the very same time that he received the soul. That is why it says, man became a living soul. What that resulted from was that God breathed into him. So it was both the spirit and the soul that God imparted into man at the same time. This is why I made the point that they are 
indivisible. The soul is the central part of man. The spirit and the soul are in unity as it relates to working with man. It's a central part of man, the soul, because the soul is the gateway to the spirit and it is also the gateway to the body. All right, so it's the central part of man. The human soul, just like the spirit, also has three faculties. The human soul has three faculties and the faculties of the soul are one the mind speaking about the conscious mind this is the conscious mind which includes the thoughts imaginations understanding memory reason intellect and that kind of stuff that is why proverbs 23 verse 7 says as a man thinketh in his heart so is he that speaks to the mind actually when you translate that so the mind thinks about things, processes them, and then deposits them to the spirit. The spirit is not what receives information from the outside world immediately, only when God speaks into your spirit. But the mind processes what is around you and then deposits the information into your spirit. The next of the three faculties is the will. We spoke about the will last time about the importance of the free will and all of that. So the will is the ability to choose and make decisions. And First Chronicles 29 verse 9 can be used as a scripture reference. The emotions. Emotions would be number three in the faculties of the human soul. And the emotions involves the feelings, whether good or bad feelings, which is a result of attitude. Right. So Ephesians 4 verse 26 will speak to that. Let's move to the body, which is the third part of the tripartite being of man. It is the sense or world conscious part of man. It's the sense conscious part or the world conscious, the part that is conscious of what is happening in the world in terms of responding and all that kind of stuff. It's capable of knowing and receiving things from the world around him. Now, remember that God made and formed man's body out of the dust of the earth as it relates to the makeup of his body. Now, remember that the earth is of this world and relates to the things of this world. The earth is not spiritual. It is of this world and relates to the things of this world. Therefore, the body which is made of the earth, of the dust of the earth, enables man to relate to the world. That's the part of man that enables him to respond in certain way to things in the world. Because that part of him came from the, the earth which relates to the world. So the scripture gives us the following designations and information concerning the human body. One, that the human body is a house. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse one, a house is built to be indwelt by someone. You don't build a house and then lock it up and say, wow, it's so beautiful. You paint it up, go and paint it every year and leave it and don't allow it to be occupied. A house is built to be occupied. So man's body being, being a house was built to be indwelt by the spirit of God. 
that is why the Bible speaks to us to say, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So that's very important. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 also speaks to that. The human body is earthly, as I said, it's made of earth and enables him to relate to the sense realm in a way that is amazing because if you existed in just your spirit and soul, you would not be able to relate to the world in the way you're able to. So the angels, the demons, they don't relate to the sense realm as the human being does. That is why they love to possess the body so that they can relate in a certain way to the earth realm. The first Adam had a natural body and an earthly body prepared and placed upon him. It is from the dust of the earth and at death it returns to the dust. The body is governed by the five senses. By these faculties, man acquires knowledge of the external world, communicates with mankind and cares for his physical and mental well-being. The faculties of the body enables man to carry out those functions. Now, just like the spirit of faculties and the soul of faculties, yes, the body has faculties also. And the faculties of the spirit are the five senses. And God wants us to relate to him in that way so that we can become all that he intended us to be because there's a part with us that have to relate to the earth in that way to be all that God intended us to be. So the faculties of the body are the five senses. And while the five senses are important and have their role here on earth, we also must understand that this is exactly why man should be led by the spirit. The senses should be able to carry out their function but should not interfere with what the spirit is designed to do. God wants us to remember that we are tripartite beings, spirit, soul, and body. We are spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, and the spirit must do its job. The soul must carry out its function, and the body and its faculties should also carry out their functions. All of those are needed for the holistic man. But we get in problems, we get ourselves in trouble when we start allowing one to carry out the functions or to attempt to carry out the functions of the other. All right? So we want to make sure that we do our part to be all that God wants us to be in terms of a holistic way. The only way that man will be able to find fulfillment in this life is to fulfill or to discover the reasons why he was created. If we don't in a general and specific identify why we were created, then 
we are going to have problems because that means we're not going to be able to function the way God intended for us to function. Now, the Bible reveals God's purpose for man, which is summarized in a fourfold way. One, relationship. Two, character. Three, function. And four, reproduction. And let's look at each of them separately uh, in a brief way. The first reason God created man was for the purpose of relationship. God wanted to relate to us. God wanted a species that he could relate to. God the Father wanted a family of children to share life with, to get to know him, and he would know them in a personal way. So throughout scripture, God's desire for fellowship and communion with man is revealed. The sin which caused Adam to hide from God has been hindering man's relationship with God ever since. Isaiah 59 verse 1 speaks to that. And it is only through the New Testament that God's purpose of relationship with man is fully accomplished. When man was put in a position that he was reconciled with God and is able to fellowship with God and to commune with God and carry out the functions on earth that God designed for him to carry out. So relationship is very, very important to God. He wants us to have relationship with him. He wants us to continue to walk in relationship with him. God don't want us to be distant from him. It doesn't bring any pleasure to God when we don't fellowship with him, when we don't have relationship with him. Fellowship is a part of the relationship that we have with him. So it is God's heart to have relationship with you. In Jeremiah, he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I've drawn you with my loving kindness. You know, we often use the Our Father prayer as the Lord's prayer. But you know, that was the disciples' prayer. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray and he gave them that prayer. That was for them. But the real Lord's prayer is in St. John 17, verse 3, when Jesus prayed and he said, this is life eternal, or this is real eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, his son, whom thou hast sent. That word know in that scripture comes from a Greek word, genesco, and it means to recognize through an intimate, growing relationship. And that's God's heart for us, that we would recognize him through an intimate, growing relationship day by day. Character, the next on the list. The second reason why God created man was to reproduce his nature and character. Character is one of the main thoughts in the word image. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus 
was created in the express image of God. It described Jesus as being in the express image of God. The Greek word here for image is the word character. So when God created man in his own image, it's talking about God created us in his own character with his DNA inside of us. God wants us to partake of his divine nature according to 2 Peter 1. He wants us to be conformed to the image of God according to Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and 29. We quote that scripture a lot but we only use the part that says all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. But that same portion of scripture speaks to how God desires for us to be conformed to the image of his son, to be changed into his image by the spirit of God. So character is important to God. God wants us to function in his character, according to his character on earth. So in other words, when you carry out your assignments as a kingdom citizen, as a believer, when people look at you, they should say, that's how God would do it if he was on earth. They should see God at work in and through your life. Function is the next one. The third reason God created man was to have someone to share in his function of ruling the universe. God wanted someone to share in his function of ruling the universe. God the Father wanted his children to be involved in the family business. He not only purposed that man be something in terms of character, but also that man would do something, speaking to function, that man would function. God wanted man to share in his dominion here on earth. So Genesis chapter one, verse 26. God created man in his image and likeness. God gave man dominion. In fact, he said, let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air. In other words, over the earth realm, he gave man dominion so that man could share in his function here on earth. God always had us in mind as it relates to fulfilling his will for our lives. Reproduction. The fourth reason God created man was to share some of his creative powers so that man can share in some of God's creative powers in the sense of tapping into what God is doing and bring it to the attention of the rest of mankind. God the Father wanted his children to reproduce more children to be in his family. So God did not want to make more children out of the dust of the earth with his hands or like he used Adam's rib to make Eve. He gave that part to man. He wanted man to reproduce more children to be in his family. So he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful 
and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Now, it must be understood that while this speaks to reproduction by natural birth, there is more to it than just bringing babies into existence. There is the factor, there is the issue of reproducing after its kind. In other words, just like we reproduce in terms of natural children, we have to reproduce the character of God, the nature of God in those children. And if we don't do that, then our testimony will be compromised. This is why having children is not the be all and end all of the thing. It is a serious responsibility. What are your plans to reproduce the nature and character of God inside of them? Now you understand what the Bible mean when it says train up the child in the way that he should. We have in interpreted that for a long time as just taking them to Sunday school. But as parents in your house, that's where the first responsibility is to reproduce the nature and character of God inside of the offsprings. So the fourfold purpose of God is both progressive and interdependent. Relationship with God is essential for character development to occur or for the right character development to occur. Character is to be the basis for function. And when these are in order, reproduction will be a natural result. So it is important that if we are going to function properly, if we're going to get the results that God intended for us to have, we're going to have to have or reproduce the character of God. Otherwise, we're going to come up short. This purpose for man has never changed. And the church will enable the fulfillment of such purpose by teaching properly the doctrine of man and showing people what God intended, what God desire for our lives, how God wants us to function and the results that God intended for us to have here on earth. Otherwise, we come and serve the Lord and be around for 20, 30 years in the church, but miss the essence of what God is demanding of us here on earth. You might not have physical children, but you still have nieces and nephews. And if you don't have any natural niece, nieces and nephews, you have church nieces, church nephews. Because this responsibility is really about one generation teaching the next generation. It is about our generation or your generation, whatever generation you are in, ensuring that that continues with the next generation. And the fact that you would have had more information than the generation past, the generation before you, you should do a better job than the generation before. So we carry that responsibility. 
following up on last week, we talk about how man is a, and some people mentioned it in the review, how man is a, an intelligent being, man is a moral being, man is a dependent being, and we looked at those. Also want to make the point that man is a love being, and it's a very important point that we want to ensure that we don't miss because this is a part of the function of man in relation to what God desires for us to do. It helps us in our function here on earth. So man is a love being. God is love. And love must not only have an object, but must also have that which can reciprocate the love. In other words, God did not just want a situation where he poured his love upon a species and they just experience his love every day, but they're not able to reciprocate the love. So a love being, God wants us to be in that position that as he pours love on us, we're able to reciprocate that love. And so it is very meaningful to God when we say, I love you because you first love me. Lord, we love you. We bless you. God wants us to reciprocate his love. And I want to read a few verses out of First John chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. John was the one that leaned on Jesus first, and he shared in all his writings about love. And so it's very, very important that we hear what he has to say as it relates to love so that we can understand the heart of the Father God. So First John, First John chapter 4. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Look at verse 19 now. It says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. That's reciprocating the love. That's what God desire. We love him because he first loved us. And then you have to personalize that now to say, I love him because he first loved me. If he never pour out his love upon me, I wouldn't get a chance to reciprocate that love. So I love him because he first loved me. Who else is better to pour your love on than God? And so even in our mess, even when we're not worthy, he still pours love upon us. And that is just amazing because when sometimes people can't bother with us, we give too much trouble. Some of us give too much trouble at times. And um, the world can't bother with us. Our own can't bother with us, but he has never given up on us. He always loves us. In fact, 
God don't have love, he is. So once he's present, he's loving you. The created universe with all its glories and splendor cannot reciprocate the love of God. So it is the species called man that have to carry that responsibility that was created with that function to be able to carry out that function. Now, if God who is love desires a creation upon which he can bestow his love, then it must also be noted that he is looking to you in your own space and time to reciprocate that love. Man is a being that has a will and intelligence and capable of choosing love. When we see some of the demonstrations that are happening in our world today, that is the opposite of love. We are witnessing where man has made a choice to go the other way. Anything about hatred towards your fellow man is not from God because God is love. God never at any time intended that some of us should be loved and some should not be loved. He loved all of us and desires for all of us to reciprocate his love. And I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. You can't do that for your children. That means all of us need to come into relationship with God that we can reciprocate his love. And I am convinced that there are many, many believers served the Lord for many, many years, but have never really truly experienced the love of God because of religion. Sometimes when God wants to just lavish his love upon us. We're busy working in the church. And so you can't experience the love of God. You're busy doing all kinds of stuff. God wants you to take time out to receive his love and to reciprocate that love. Man was created by love and he was created for love and he was created to reciprocate that love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that so whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is wanting us to demonstrate that kind of love to each other and also to reciprocate that love to him. John was the one that also said, Beloved, well, it started out in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3, saying, said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. But now are we the sons of God, and we do, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to love like him and be able to function like him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. No, no, not tomorrow, but now are we the sons of God. That means we need to reciprocate that love now, not wait until we get into eternity. Now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, 
fruition seem as he is. And thank God the Bible says, every man that hath this hope in him purified himself, even as God is pure. Man is extraordinary and carries great responsibility on the earth. And if we begin to function the way God has created for us to function, then you are going to see amazing results in your space. Now, don't worry about the man that is not functioning like God that lives next door to you. You are your responsibility. You have to ensure that you are staying in alignment with God that you can carry out his function here on earth. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.